0: In the book of Philippians chapter 2 we want to go through verses 12 through 18 today. And as we're looking in these verses we are recognizing again that Paul is writing this from prison. He is in a Philippian he's he's in a jail probably in Rome writing back to the Philippian church and yet he's he's giving some really amazing exhortation. And as we were looking at this and studying, I began to see a theme that flowed through this passage of scripture that you can probably grab as we even began to read it. And it would be that Paul begins to teach a truth of the word, which was, is living with abandonment and yet intention. And as we say that, what we're speaking about is the Christian life is like this huge pendulum that swings. And the word of God is like this pendulum that swings. And on one side, you've got the grace and sovereignty of God. And as it swings over, you've got the free will of man and the privilege to choose. You've got, the pendulum swings, you've got faith. And the pendulum swings back, and you've got obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. As a pendulum swings, you on one side you see that Jesus Christ is coming again, and on the other side of the pendulum, you see a teaching of the Word of God where God says, occupy till I come. Now, in the Word of God, what is so amazing is a pendulum is beautifully balanced. It is balanced so perfect with biblical truth and the Holy Spirit. But as we look today, we're going to see Paul, and you'll probably see some other teachings here, but he'll be speaking about living with abandon, yet at the same time with intention. And on one side, it looks like, well, you just kind of give it all to God. But on the other side, you see a truth of living with a purpose, a vision, a connection with God that goes beyond this. Let's read this together. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. So then Paul writes in verse 12, my beloved, and I love how he begins this this presentation. The church of Philippi, even though he had only existed there for a a short time, was a very close church to Paul's heart. God had woven them together in one In such a way that even though maybe as much as 800 miles separated Paul from that church, he could look at that church and this was a crown. It was a beloved crown, a jewel in Paul's heart. And he says here, My beloved, as he introduces them, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. And here Paul is saying, You're a great example of obedience. And when I was there, I saw it. I witnessed your example of your desire to follow Jesus. And here he says, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. And Paul here is saying, now when I'm gone, I believe you'll live just like you did when I was there. Paul is teaching a very vital truth of the Christian life. And that is the Christian life never leaves us. You know, a common expression that I've heard over the years is uh, we may go on a vacation, but we don't take a vacation from our vocation. We are still Christians. We are still called to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And wherever God puts us, he's putting us in places of ministry. And Paul here is speaking of this heart, though, that was seen to be at Philippi that they were always obeying. Notice how inclusive it was. They were just simply saying, maybe some of you, we, we had that experience. Maybe if you had a child that when you asked them to do something, they just did it. Take out the trash, mow the lawn, clean up your room, make your bed. Paul was saying, this is who you are at Philippi, and I see it in your presence, but also in my absence. And I think that is really cool. It could have been that people would come and Paul might ask a visitor, how are they doing over at Philippi? And he says, they're just serving Christ. Those people over at Philippi, wow. They're just living for Christ and and they're obeying. And you understand how it is that sometimes in the fervor of church life and ministry, it's really easy, but oftentimes God calls us to serve without the camp. To obey where there isn't anyone but us, where we're, we're, we're really by ourselves, but with God, and to stand there and just um, not be afraid to be a Christian, not be ashamed to say, I, Yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe God's still on the throne. I believe He's still changing lives. He's the creator of the world, He's everything that, that He says He is. I remember t- one time as a, a little guy, uh, some of you can relate to this. Uh, maybe the guys a little bit more than the women, but I would go home from school and mom, we lived in an old farmhouse. And, but when I could wa- walk in the door, I could just smell it the time that she was making those Old Spice cookies. And I was a little guy and I'd come in the door and immediately I'd be much hungrier than I thought I was before I smelled the cookies. But mom usually would say, when I said, could I have a cookie? She could usually say you could have three. And what would happen is... I would take the three and I I would begin to begin to calculate when mom would be gone from the place of the cookies. So I could get twelve. And I could get them really fast. And it worked a lot of times. Sometimes I tried to figure out how do you cover it up in the cupboard real fast, and it didn't work very often. But what Paul is really saying about this church, and oftentimes that's the flesh, and that's how we divert to. But Paul is saying this church is living Jesus wherever they're at. Jesus is just them. They're bleeding Jesus. For you, those you men out there in the workforce, you women out there in the job where God's got you, I'll tell you, there is a tremendous marketplace ministry out there when you're living for Jesus. You get a church out there. You become the pastor and you don't even realize it. And it multiplies. People come to you asking to marry them and help them with problems and trials because you choose to live for Jesus where it isn't comfortable. And Paul here is speaking of that and referencing that when he's, he says, You always obeyed, and notice, not as in my presence only, now much more in my absence. And then he comes off with the end of the sentence Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And this is a scripture that oftentimes people have stumbled over, and they've said, hold it, what's he talking about? I thought we were saved by grace. And the word of God clearly says we're saved by grace. The word of God clearly says it is a free gift. It is not of works, no man will boast. We are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to good works. God saves us. He doesn't save us 99%. He doesn't say 99% is mine, 1% is yours. When God does it, he does it completely. God does it fully. But now Paul is writing to a group of saved believers here when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And maybe we can liken it to, uh, many of you have have, have had work at different times, but let's say you were hired by ABC Corporation to be their CEO, and you get the promotion, and you're up as a CEO of ABC Corp, and here you are functioning as a corp within that company. But the first thing you realize is there's 100 decisions that have to be made that no one else wants to make but you, and the effectiveness of ABC Corp is going to be determined on your willingness and ability to make those decisions without splitting the corporation right down the middle. Now you are active, you are the CEO for just just an application. You have been placed in ABC Corp. You are called now to be active as a CEO in ABC Corp. You are there to live your life as the person they have placed you and called you to be. And this is true as we look at what Paul is writing here. He's saying, you are a child of God. You are an heir, a joint heir of Jesus Christ. You have been given a great calling in Christ Jesus. You have a wonderful privilege to serve and to live. And even to make all of those decisions that we talked about, but now in a different way. You're making those to the glory of God. You're making those for the salvation of souls. You're making those that God will be glorified in every way. And when Paul is here, other translations will see, even even say it like this, work out of your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out of the position you've been called to be in. Be active. Paul so often addressed this. One, One of the places in Colossians 3 and 23, where there Paul writes in Colossians, and he says, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. But Paul is writing to this church who were, was going, were, were in a very special place. They weren't very large. They were growing and yet he was in prison and he is speaking about this, this confidence and this faith and then also calling them, if you notice, to, to live with intention. When we think of living with intention, we think of a purposeful life. We think of living proactively and with purpose, with vision, with a reason to live. There's something behind and around and beside the decisions that were there. But notice what else Paul said here that he also encapsulates in this phrase, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He is speaking of something that determines the effectiveness of working out of salvation, and that is the awe and fear of God who is over everything. He's saying as you're there, as you're living for Christ, as you're active, as you're going where God wants you to go, working out of the place you've been, let the fear of God be in your heart. Now, Paul, Paul had that, and, and this was so clear in his life in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. There it says, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and the power. And here is the reason, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Behind the heart of the Apostle Paul was a desire, a deep desire that all of the faith that was coming from the teaching, from the life, from the ministry, that was coming from his hands, his lips, whatever, was going back to the power of God. You see, over here often is the vehicle through which the word of God has came. Paul recognized he was the vehicle, but he said, "I want you to go through the vehicle above the vehicle and go to the power of God that makes everything possible." Verse 13, he says, "For it is God who, as it is at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure." Now remember this this little theme that wouldn't leave us was living with abandon, yet intention. And Paul here is speaking of, in the earlier part of intention, working out your salvation, being focused, being direct, have goals, pursue what God wants you to do, lived ethically and morally in a world like this. But now all of a sudden he stops, and here's the pendulum swing when he says, for it is god who is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure it seems like what paul is saying is when you get all done and you're following the lord jesus and you've went many places in your life but when you look back it wasn't you it was god God made it possible. Not only did He open the door that no man shuts, He shuts the door that no man opens, and He gives you, us strengths we do not even have, have or possess, and even brings other people around to strengthen each of us in ways that we never knew we'd need to be strengthened. And Paul simply says, "It's God working in you, both to will and do of His good pleasure." You know, in our in our Christian life, so so often we can go over the top of the mountain of victory and we can find this great victory and just rejoice in it and praise God. And all of a sudden the Lord says, stop, stop. We can be like the lepers. You remember? Ten were cleansed, but only one remembered. And Paul says to you at Philippi, remember no matter what happens at your church, no matter what becomes of what I do, remember it is God working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Many years ago, I read a story of uh, a young little fellow that walked into one of the grand halls of Europe where there was a beautiful grand piano and the acoustics were absolutely astounding. And the little guy got away from his parents and he got to the big piano and he began to play chopsticks on that piano right through this beautiful, beautiful place. And that disruptive noise was just everywhere. And one man walked up, and he put his hands around the little guy, and he took his fingers and put him on the, on the keys, and that little guy kept playing. But out of that came the most beautiful melody that people had ever heard in that place. Someone says, who was that to change something so sharp and almost uncouth to something so beautiful? And someone said, his name, was Mendelssohn. You see what happens? We can forget, and Paul was reminding the church here that the Lord makes the difference. That's it. Paul says it in Philippians. He says, unless the Lord build the house, we'll labor in vain that build the house. Unless God keep the city, we'll just wake in vain. And he reminds of this so many times. In 2 Corinthians 3, verses 5 and 6, he reminds us, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And Paul is simply saying all of the good All of the the success spiritually is coming because someone else divinely intervenes and changes all the messes that we make and beautifully turns something that could be so messy into something so beautiful. And Paul, as he's writing, he knew that Philippi would have a lot of those messes. They weren't very experienced. They'd blunder ahead, make a lot of mistakes. But he also knew the same God that called Philippi was the God that would call them again and again and make a difference in their life when they look to him. And this is what is so beautiful about the Christian life is God really makes a difference. Really makes a difference. It's just not a little adjustment. He makes the difference. He turns it around. He changes the circumstances. It is God who, does, who makes the difference Then Paul gives us a little exhortation, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And Paul is just reminding them because he knew this would be a tendency of the church. He's saying... You at Philippi, as the battle gets more intense, when the pressure is turned up, I want to challenge you to do all things. Notice how encompassing this is without grumblings or disputings. Be a giver of praise, be a thankful person. And notice what he says happens when this happens. He goes, you are the, you become, you're the children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You know, the word gumbling is gugosmos. It's complaining. It's murmuring. It's thanklessness. It can, it can creep into the human heart so quickly it comes in back doors and we don't know it. It comes in ways we don't, we don't first see it. And Paul here is exhorting a, a beautiful church that would be a testimony of the grace of God and the power of God through the ages down to us. Remember though, choose glorification over grumbling. Choose honoring God over pity parties. Choose Speaking well of others rather than joining into the fray of the gossip. And we could keep on going there. You know, when we were, when we were young parents, we had uh, four children. And one of the books we got was called Me First Millie. Now, Me First Millie was about this little woman named Millie. And everything she did, she was in a family. She just wanted it first. And Millie would say, I want, I want it, I want it, I want it. And Me First Millie was just everywhere. And as the years went on and Deb and I would teach the children, one of the things we would always speak about is we don't want to be me first, Millie. Remember, me first, Millie isn't what we want to be. And oftentimes when the grumbling or disputings come and notice, uh, one of the definitions is disputings, which is debates and questions. And one of the examples in the Bible that's really common that we see, it's so characteristic of the human behavior was that of the children of Israel. God reached out, these people went into captivity in Egypt, God reached out, brings them out of captivity, and as they come, they watch so many things happen. They come out of Egypt, they go through the Dead Sea, God opens the Dead Sea, they walk on dry ground, and then they began to grumble. They had 40 years out there, long time, it was cold, out there, though, God did several things uh, at that time. There was a cloud by day to cover the heat, the blazing heat of the wilderness. There was a fire by night to give them light that would lighten the camps. There was manna in the morning, every morning manna. And that manna would have been amazing because the, um, it would have been that which God would have made. Now, this is just a guess. You, you, you shoot this apart. But it probably was the best food that was ever served ever. But every single day, it was manna. Every single day, it was God's provision. You notice how familiarity so often can breed contempt. It comes in a different way. And Paul is saying, do all of this. Maybe, I don't know. I would just guess with all the women of that area, they were as creative as the sisters that are here. You'd find an herb over here, and you'd find a flavoring over here and you'd mix it with the manna and you'd have the manna with the herb and you'd have the manna with something else. It's even possible, you know, the children say, mom, are we going to have manna with salsa or just plain manna today? (laughs) How about manna with honey? It was actually from coriander seed that tasted like wafers and honey. That's what it was. That's what the manna was like, And so it was good tasting. But day after day, year after year, 40 years they were there. And the word of God would speak about the grumbling. And it would just go like a roar through the camp. It would just go like a roar. It would be like a, be like a fire in a wheat field. It would just go pop. And here's a couple verses. Uh, verse uh, Exodus 16, 6 and 7. So Moses said, and Aaron said to the sons of Israel at evening, you will know the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of God for he hears your grumblings against the Lord and what are we that you grumble against us? Deuteronomy 8 and 16, another one of those. In the wilderness he fed you manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you, that he might test you to do good for you in the end. And there was God providing this amazing food in an amazing way to the children of Israel to bring them closer to him. You know, it takes a while in the middle of our grumbling and complaining until finally we realize, you know, it's probably not about them or that, it's about me. It just takes a little while. It's a great place to give a little grace because God gives grace to us. But finally, we reach a point that we realize God, just like he said here, he gave it to you to humble you two, that you would know that God was working amazingly. I remember a time as a young guy, about around 30 years old, I'd went up to the, uh, at the time when Mount St. Helens erupted, we, we took a tour of about 100 kids, youth, and went up to Mount St. Helens. And we were up there, and I, for some reason we got talking about all the problems we had in our church, and all the problems we had around us. And when I got home, I'll tell you, I was just flat dragging. I can remember just dragging, and I walked over to my father, and I told my dad, I was a pastor. I said, I don't know if I can make it here. And dad did something. He was a, very, he's a, he was a quiet man. He is a very quiet man. He took a bucket and he turned it upside down. He says, I want you to sit in that bucket. And he turned another bucket and turned it upside down, and he sat on that bucket. He says, John, now I have a lesson for you. Just remember this lesson. It's easy to define a problem without a solution. But if you were going to speak of the problem, always speak of the solution, because that will bless. And that's about all I can remember he ever said, but it really reset this little guy's life. Just a word, in a time of grumbling and God was doing something. Matthew 5 and 14, the end of this verse, he says, you are you know, if you look at that with me, you'll see that there is a tremendous uh, blessing he's speaking of. He says, the reason I want you to do this is because you can be children above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. And he said, "You're, you're, you're light, you're right here in the world. Jesus said that, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What he's saying is, you know, every one of your homes is like a light, you're the light. The church is a light. When you walk out on the job, you are the light of the world. You are the city that's set there. Everybody's watching. How's Bob going to respond to that crisis? And, and here Jesus said, let your light shine. And there we see that very theme again. Abandon and yet intention. Let your light shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Verse 16, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. You begin to see this as one of the themes of Paul's teaching and that is, you know how you encourage me at Philippi? You encouraged me by holding fast to God's word. You encourage me by living for Jesus. And here he says, holding fast the word of life. Back in, the, in an area I used to go and teach occasionally in Pennsylvania, there was a, a pastor who had a son that was very handicapped. His name was Abe. And Abe uh, didn't know much, but he knew Jesus loved him. He, God took him home. But you know what Abe did everywhere he went? His parents probably blessed him at this, but he carried a Bible, And it was always crumpled a little bit like this. And it was always close by his heart. And Abe always had a smile. And when I think about holding fast the word of life, probably the first thing we think about is holding to God's word. Abe clutched the word to his heart. I asked his dad, how long long was it till you replaced the Bible? It was only like a month. Abe Abe would take a Bible like this and he'd wear it out. But Abe was simple enough to know that that Bible was his life and God called him home to glory in the last year. Like a 23 or 4 year old guy, maybe 26, time goes by. But Paul is speaking here of probably more than just holding the Bible, But notice, Abe Abe had the Bible always close to his heart. You didn't see it way over here. It was by his heart. The word of God was very precious to Abe. And God was doing amazing things. You know, Colossians, Paul writes to the Colossian brothers in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ Keep seeking the things which are above. When we think of holding fast the word of life, how does this flush out? Seeking the things which are above where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. Here's another one. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things above. The third is, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. God, believe it to be so. You have died in Christ Jesus. You have died to sin. Paul speaks of that in Romans chapter, chapter 6. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, and here we begin to see the other part of this, because as you are seeking and you are setting and you are believing Christ is your life, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And here Paul is speaking about this tremendous power of Christ working within us. But if you notice with me here, he is yet spe- still, st- still teaching living with abandon, seeking, setting, thinking. But remember, it is Christ working in you. It is Christ who is doing amazing things in every life that's here this morning. Sometimes we don't realize it, we, sometimes we forget it in the midst of a busy month or week or time. But Christ does amazing things. If you look, 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 if you look with me just a little further here in the last couple of verses, he says, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And If you get that, what he's saying is, if my imprisonment and my sufferings and my trials are blessing you and strengthening you, I am just thanking God. I'm rejoicing and and just glorying with all of you. And many times we forget this special truth about suffering. We can get caught and and we all know what this is like. We're, We're caught and all of a sudden God has somebody else in mind in our suffering. And here Paul is simply saying this. He says, I rejoice with you all. If I am the doormat If I am the one laid on the altar, yet it's blessing you, it's worth it, is what Paul is saying. And some of you have been called to that special place in your lives. It may have been physically, it may have been spiritually, it may have been socially, it may have been someplace, but God had somebody else in mind. He may may have never showed us, we may never see it, but God sees what we don't see. And here Paul says, if I am being poured out, as a drink offering, and that's interesting because he references something that was very common in the sacrifice in the Old Testament. When a lamb was slain, when an animal was sacrificed and they were laid on the altar and they were burnt for the forgiveness of sin, or recognizing the need of forgiveness of sin, there was something else, 68 times in the Bible, God said, pour out the drink offering upon the altar. The drink offering was just approximately one quart of good wine most often. It wasn't old wine. It wasn't wine that was semi. It was get your good wine and put it in a quart. And when you're slaying the lamb, lay out the wine. Lay out the good wine. And God was speaking of something in that drink offering that I think you get. And that is the people need to see the sacrifice and the power of the sacrifice that goes beyond the animal, beyond the body. They need to see the blood sacrifice. And when that, when that wine is poured out over that altar, the people are able to recognize, wow, there's something in good wine, and high value wine here that is declaring something that maybe we don't even fully understand now, but this is what God says to do. You'll see this in Genesis 34 and 35 and 14, the first time the drink offering came up. Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Numbers 28 and seven, then the drink offering with it shall be a fourth of a hen for each lamb. A hen was a little bit over a gallon. In the holy place, you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 12 and 15, we jump into Paul's references other places where he says, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? And the last thing, Paul, one of the last things that Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. For I have already been poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul was referencing himself being poured out as a drink offering unto the Lord, but it was much bigger than this. It spread much further than this. It is in reference to the one offering for sin forever of our Lord Jesus Christ as he shed his life on our behalf. And as that drink offering would go over the altar and they would pour that drink offering and the father and the children and all the the people from the village would stand around and they would see and there's the animal burning and there is the best wine burning. There was a message going way beyond the sacrifice of the perfect sacrifice, the lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world, the perfect lamb. The one slain, the word of God says, before the, the, the foundation of the world. And that's why Paul said, for even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you. What Paul is saying is, I just will see past the sacrifice. You will see, you will see past the suffering of me. You know, there's a lot of ways to witness for Jesus. There's a lot of places we're called to go and share the gospel, but there's also something that is so powerful when someone else witnesses us in suffering, joying and rejoicing in Jesus Christ, just like Paul here is a drink offering, they see Jesus. They see the Lamb of God. They see the perfect offering, the perfect sin offering. And that is why Paul said he would rejoice and share my joy with you all. And I believe what he's saying is no suffering is not worth it in Christ. There is a blessing that goes beyond the present trial to somewhere in some way that's amazing, and God does it. And so Paul said this as he ends the chapter, you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way. And share your joy with me. And Paul's simply saying, I want you to enter into this privilege with me. He understood Philippi. He understood the trials that went through. He knew it wasn't going to be easier in the future. And here he says, I want you to rejoice and share your joy with me as you suffer. And this is where we end this today. The privilege of being, of being, being able to hold behold the perfect drink offering today. For many, many years, as those altars would be built and the lamb would be put on, or the, or the animal sacrifice, whatever, and the drink offering would go on, the people would wonder, what does that mean? What does that mean? Paul knew. What it meant was that his Jesus died for them, and his Jesus died for us, and our Jesus died for us. You know, the word of God says in Peter that you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold received from the vain conversation of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And when you look at redemption and what God has done that would ever give the church of Philippi the power to fulfill what they had been called to do by Paul's teaching we give them the power to live with abandon, yet living with intention, it would be because of the one sacrifice for sin, forever, the one perfect drink offering of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shed his blood for us, and his blood is that which makes an atonement for our sins. If there is anyone here this morning that has never considered the power of the sacrifice, and we are just barely touching it. The completeness of the sacrifice, the depth of the sacrifice, and how that blood, that sacrifice, takes away sin completely. I want to invite you to come up here and give to this altar, and there will be people after, at the end of the song that will be willing to pray with you and share more about the sacrifice. Because really, salvation is tied to this one great truth. Lord Jesus, I believe that you gave your life and shed your blood as a perfect sacrifice for my sin. And I believe by faith, not that I can understand it completely, not that I can even explain it completely, that you died for me, and I confess you as my Lord and Savior and I claim that sacrifice. If God is speaking to you today, today is the day of salvation. Don't turn away. There may never be another day. Last night, there was an old sister that walked out the door and she said, I've sat through many services, but I'm telling you with chills running up my spine that something clicked tonight. Something just hit. If it hit, God does the work. If it hit, Don't walk away, come to the altar and let God just do that perfect and blessed work. And all of a sudden you see this is not just a bunch of principles and and lessons, it becomes living and alive because God is doing an amazing thing. For the rest of us, wherever God is speaking to us, Live with intention, but also live in, with abandonment to the Lord, because the Lord has got this. It doesn't matter whether it's this church, it doesn't matter whether it's our lives, it doesn't matter whether it's this country, but yet live with intention because he lives, came into this world with intention, he gave his life as a perfect sacrifice and follow him where he asks you to go, wherever he takes you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for the truth of your word that never returns void. We don't know how this works, Lord. You you even teach in your word that the wind blows We hear the sound, we can't tell where it starts, we can't tell where it is, but that's what happens with everyone that's born of the Spirit. Father, have your way here today in every life and every heart. Speak as you would to each of us. Call us higher, Lord. Call us to yourself. Call us to the place that you want us to go in service and in faith to you. And Lord, for those who have never seen that perfect sacrifice possibly until today, whoever that person is, Lord, don't let go of, may they receive your embrace. I know you you don't let go of them. Receive your embrace and may you come into them and can they sup with you and you with them as the one perfect, perfect relationship in a world that has so much going on father you'll never leave them you'll never forsake them we pray this in christ's name amen